Radio and KXNO. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Hour number two, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, bottom of the hour, Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com. We will uh, talk college football with Pete. We're going to talk football and basketball with our next guest. He's Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Wrote a good piece, had a good long sit-down interview with Coach Ferentz. uh, uh, The piece was published a couple of days ago. We'll get into that. But we have to start with the biggest news, Doc. First of all, welcome. As always, thank you for coming on. And the biggest news is uh, 55 is back for his senior season. Uh, and that makes Iowa clearly uh, one of the uh, teams that people will be discussing when asked who can cut down the nets in Indianapolis uh, this coming April. Huge news. Gars is back. Your thoughts, Doc? Oh, it's huge for Iowa. I mean, I, I wrote that uh, not really since Chuck Long's decision in 1985 have we seen a player with this kind of profile make this type of decision and have everybody's kind of hopes hanging in the balance. And you know, you look at it again, you know, such a, you know, it's a team that, you know, we've been so removed from basketball because there was no conclusion, but that was really headed for a very competitive march at some point. We don't know if they would have won, you know, more than a game or two in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, but they would have been a tough out. And he was the reason for that. Nobody was able to defend him in the Big Ten. I mean, he averaged 26 points a game in 20 Big Ten games. So to bring him back, coupled with, some of the guys that were injured last year, plus, you know, with Jordan Bohannon, and you have uh, a point guard in, uh, in Connor McCaffrey, led the country in assisted turnover ratio, and, and a few other players. It's just, this is a very optimistic year for the Hawkeyes, and there's a lot of potential there. But uh, as we know, you know, COVID's wreaking havoc with the Big Ten football side of things. It certainly will in basketball. So let's, let's hope that uh, you get a chance to see Iowa compete with Luka Garza again. You know, we uh, we trend towards the conference only, maybe across college football. What about college basketball? Would you anticipate something similar happening? We don't know what it's going to look like when college kids start to get on campus and, and outbreaks that are more than likely going to happen here. But could you see this thing just being pushed back? We'll start in January, go from there, and March Madness as we know it. We may be pushing back and talking about May Madness instead for, to crown a champion. Hmm. What do you see happening in college basketball? There's so much speculation there, Trent, and I, I get it all. I mean, I really think that, you know, one thing uh, Fran McCaffrey brought up yesterday, and this is, this is something that's been bantered about a little bit, is, you know, once a lot of these schools go to online only uh, after Thanksgiving and some even before that, that you might see a bubble type of event in, say, uh, you know, in December, you know, mm. a couple of them possibly, where, you know, you think about it, if there's nobody in the dorms at Iowa, uh, after December 1st that, you know, maybe you, uh, maybe you bring in, say, eight teams and you play each other, you know, maybe one and, you know, a couple of every day, there's a couple of games at Carver and you get, get a lot of games in in a, in a secure location, you know, and I'm just using Iowa as an example, but I think that could happen in just about anywhere. So 
I think that's probably some of the creative thinking we'll see from some of these coaches is if there's nobody on campus, if uh, it's all virtual learning anyway, then you can play these games. That If, they, if the players are going to be in, the, in a dorm room or a hotel setting anyway, um, you know, learning, um, they can do that anywhere in the country or anywhere around the world. So why not do it at a place like in an Iowa City or Des Moines or, or wherever? So I think that's probably what will end up happening. And then I do think that there will be a heavy lift on conference basketball because it's a lot like football where you can, you can guarantee the evenness of all the testing uh, versus, you know, bringing in a, a MEAC school or, or somebody from a different part of the country that just doesn't have either the resources or the abilities to test at the same level. So I do think uh, there'll probably be some December basketball, you know, in secure locations. And then I think starting in January that there'll probably be more of a, um, you know, conference-level basketball. Doc uh, and Trent, I mean, we've, we've talked about the fact that non-com probably is going to be out. It's going to be conference-laden. Would they expand on the just 20? Would you would, would you do a round-robin, a true round-robin, if you're keeping it conference-only, Doc? I would love that. So wouldn't you? I, I Who wouldn't, how, right? <laughs> I also know how grueling that is. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, when it was 16 games, it was grueling. 18 was a, was a grind, and then 20... Uh, by the time they get done with a 20-game Big Ten season, you could just see the wear down of these players, um, and then how kind of un, you know, let go, unleashed they are when they get to the NCAA tournament against other teams and other programs. I don't know if that's the best way for the Big Ten to actually have a national champion, but if you want to have this high, the highest level of competition, mm-hmm. and I would take out the, the Big Ten tournament if you do that. Okay, I, I think because if, if you have 26 games. Well, let's just leave it at that. Don't have you know teams playing three, four, sometimes five games uh-huh. in a five day period. That's too much. So would, would you go but, for that, Trent? Yeah, twenty six games, depending on no non con, no, no Big non-con. Ten tournament is so, doctrine. Are you okay with the team that goes eleven and fifteen getting into the NCAA tournament? I am. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I mean, I mean because if you're playing those teams, eleven and fifteen, but with three, four really good wins on your resume. You don't have those 10 wins that you padded the non-conference to pump it up. I, I think we'd have to change the way of our thinking in order to do that, and I don't know if people are ready for that. That would be the concern that I'd have, Doc. If, if, if you're going to play 26, I'd like to see him play 27. It burns me, and in, in a month from now, we're really going to talk about it, but no, Cyhawk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, if they could if they could play that in a, at a gym in Manchester, Iowa, <laughs> and you know, only have it televised, I would take it. I think that would, you know, got to play that game because it's already it's already going to be rough not having that football game. Yeah, indeed, Doc. I want to get to your uh, conversation with Kirk Ferentz. A good long forty five minutes sit down interview. Seemed like everything was on the table. Uh, all the questions there was. Look, there was even after the press conference, there was still some questions that remained unanswered. Did DJK really have to run around the field with a bucket on his head? That one, you brought it up. He answered the question. You asked the question about the the award that they made up to give to Chris Doyle after the rabdo. You got Kirk Ferentz to admit that in hindsight he probably would have uh, wouldn't have done that again. I thought it was a great piece out of you, Scott Darkerman. What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, a revelation? What? I guess whatever. What was your biggest uh, takeaway from your sit down with Coach? There's so many, um, and as you mentioned, you know, it was good to be able to put everything out there and, and get honest responses, and 
you know, we, we went through a lot of topics. And I think the one that stands out for me is probably a little bit about Brian. Uh, you know, that there's been, you know, for the last, since Brian joined the staff in 2012, there's always been that discussion that, you know, he's, he's the heir apparent, he's the successor, he's, you know, in, in, in all those things. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, um, you know, and I think it sounds more and more like, and the way Kurt really talked about it, is that Brian would rather go do something else somewhere else. You know, maybe he aspires to be a head coach. He says he doesn't talk to him about it, which I can understand a little bit. I, I imagine that's not the first thing they talk about, but we talk about it more than they do. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that's, that's fair, that he wants to go do something somewhere else and maybe not just directly have that lineage, because that's, that's awfully difficult. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, we kind of joked about it that one of the Bowdens uh, said, I don't want to follow Daddy, I want to follow the, man, the, the guy who follows Daddy. And, and maybe that's more the likelihood and the case there. But that, to me, stood out as much as anything, just because that has been uh, a topic for your show, for yep. my podcast, for everything for the last eight years. They feel like, and Kirk Ferentz especially feels like, that they're working through things. But DJK, Ken and I went back and forth about this a little bit earlier. And DJK and Kirk, the relationship over the last decade has been non-existent. Kirk says he believes the phone call should come from Darrell Johnson Culianos, though, to initiate that contact. Do you agree with Kirk's sentiment, or do you think he should be the bigger man? You're the adult. You've been the adult in this relationship. Make that phone call and try to make amends. Oh, I think it should come from Daryl Johnson Culianos. I mean, he's an adult too. He's thirty years old now, and and I think uh, the allegations he lobbed and and Kirk responded to about him setting up DJK for a drug arrest in Iowa City. I mean, not only were they they were false. Not only that, but they came at a time when everything was pretty fragile in Iowa City, and that pushed a lot of national attention on Kirk Ferentz negatively. Um, the demanded responses. They had a lot of stories coming out of that uh, report. DJK needs to come clean about that. He needs to come out and uh, repudiate his remarks, say that he never that that never happened, and here's why. And I'm and he apologized uh, publicly, probably multiple times. If he can do that, then try to make amends. Then I could see Kirk saying, "Okay, let's let's go forward." I, and I will say, you know, Kirk admitted that he was that it was wrong about the garbage can, and that's, you know, and he's right on about that. Um, he said he didn't know if Doyle had it in his in his office. I guess I can understand it because I've been in Doyle's office. There was a lot of different things in there, and I didn't see it either. But uh, you know, the one I probably disagree with him about was last year uh, with the, the ceremony for the 2019. I mean, I, you know, that should probably there should have been a conversation there. Um, to, to rescind that invitation, I disagree with him about that. But, but by and large, I think he came really, you know, he really talked a lot about that situation. And 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 I think DJK has to be the bigger man because he's the one who who threw out one of the more uh, salacious falsehoods that I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I I understand where you guys are coming from. I just think that you know, take another step forward, coach. You've turned over a new leaf. Reach out to him. What I want to know, Doc, is and I. I, not for one minute do I think that Kirk Ferentz tipped off the cops. I just, I don't see that for a second. What did DJK's dad mean or think that Ferentz, uh, was meant when he said, I got one more surprise for him? Who knows if that's even true, if that was even said. I mean, he alleges that, but I mean, I heard contact with DJK yesterday, um, about this, and I think, uh, in a, Soon to, in a podcast coming up on Washed Up Walk-Ons, he's going to explain all of that. 
And uh, I, I don't know that that part was true. I don't know any of it was true because, you know, Kirk says the last, he, he explained it the entire day uh, when he found out about DJK's arrest and how he was at the bubble. And it was only the second time that his uh, secretary, Rita Foley, came yeah. out to see him. And they both did bad things. I, I, if this, that story had not come out, that I think maybe I, I would, I would, I would consider agreeing with you on that one. But I just think that that was one of the worst stories that somebody could tell about somebody else. And again, at mm-hmm. a time where there was so much public attention on this, that it really came, it came at a cost. I mean, Kirk's worked his way back because that brought a lot of a negative attention on him personally and calls his character into question. So I, I do think Daryl Johnson Culianos needs to, to, needs to admit publicly he was wrong, it was a lie, and he needs to uh, discuss what kind of amends he wants to take before Kirk should reach down and say, okay, I'll have a conversation with you. Scott Dockerman joining us from The Athletic. Doc, uh, you had the long conversation with Kirk uh, over the weekend the piece was incredible, so many different ways. My, my question is this, as we go through this, Kirk is saying the right things. It's not a surprise. Kirk's not a guy that steps over his words. He is very measured in what he says. But how are we going to know, us on the radio side, you on the writing side of things, how are we going to hold this program to the fire? How are we going to know that these changes that they say they're making actually are coming to fruition? What do we have to do inside the media to make sure these changes are just not on the surface and it's not just earrings and backward cats and hoodies, but there's more actually in this. What can we do? Yeah, I think that's just continue to ask questions. I mean, when you see players, um, whether that's on or off record, ask, you know, how does it feel? What's going on in the program? How do you, how's everything moving forward? And, and their, and their answers will be very honest. They have been thus far. I've mm-hmm. seen, you know, you could tell when they're, they're not necessarily faking, but they're, they put on their face of, you know, we're just playing a one, you know, they're cliches. They, they haven't done that yet. They, and, and you could tell in, in the former players who are really invested in that, in this, they, they feel the same way. And there are some back channel conversations among some other people that I think, you know, we should keep our antennas up and so should everybody else. And if there's any kind of questions about something like this and not, not, well, this, white guy's playing in front of this black guy it's more like hey there's uh there's some issues here i I think we all need to to look into things discuss things and if it measures if it merits writing a story if it merits discussing it detail it should be but i think uh everybody will be alerting people if things aren't working out because i i've seen a more honest and direct communication among people around the program than i've ever seen and i think that will continue, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, Scott Dockerman is our guest. My, my last thing for you, Doc. Um, the, his legacy, did, um, I mean, what does, what does he think his legacy is going to be? Is there still some work to be done to build it? Um, I mean, the Rabdo thing to me has clearly got to be a part of it. Now this, uh, you know, the accusations of uh, racism uh, uh, in the program uh, amongst some of the, you know, the people that worked for him, particularly Chris Doyle, et cetera, the 60 players that came out uh, that had something to say. What does he think his legacy is going to be? How, is, how does he feel he's going to be defined in his time at Iowa? I think it's going to be cumulative. And he kind of alerted that because I said, hey, I wrote from the, the Thursday press conference that his legacy is at stake based on what happens here and how he corrects these 
you know, mistakes and, and how they progress from that. And he said, yeah, partly. Um, I think that this, this will have a major effect on that. And, and it's true because if it, if it falls backward and if it's still uh, a rough end, if you will, to this, if something bad happens again, then, then that's going to be what kind of gets mentioned pretty high in the uh, coaching obit for Kirk yep. Barrett. But if they can somehow find a way to make everything uh, better, the communication's better, that the uh, the racial bias has been as eliminated as possible, mm-hmm. and I think they've made some good steps there. If that's the case, then I think it's part of it. You know, you mention it, but then you mention that he, he righted it. And, and I think there's always that case moving forward that, you know, don't, don't really punish somebody so severely that they can't make uh, good on something. And, and I think when we talk to the players, current, former, and they, they seem to believe that he can do it. And if he can do it, then there's no reason to make it, uh, you know, a continuous negative when we discuss the, the history of Kirk Ferentz whenever he steps down. Wide-ranging in college football, Scott Dockerman here with us in the Pac-12, a potential player boycott that's being bandied about right now. Your takeaway from that and the power of the players continues to be in a big way. Your thoughts and the trickle-down effect as you look at the Big Ten and, of course, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, we're just kind of waiting for, for what's coming here on the second step. You know, I mean, all these players deciding to, to, to boycott or uh, – you know, to push forward some what they feel like are reform measures. This is really strong, and this is what happened. We saw a little bit with Northwestern and the unionization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that now, uh, I think you, you might see even more of this uh, going forward, and it could filter over to the Big Ten and, and other schools. I, and I think right now what athletes have figured out, you know, particularly because of not only because of COVID, but what's happened really since the end of May is that they hold a lot of power now. They mm-hmm. are empowered by what they've seen, and uh, I think they want to make change. And they notice that things are unequal among the, from the players to the coaches. When you see coaches making five, six billion dollars, and, and they're getting a scholarship, I mean, there, there's some unevenness there. And, and especially when they're making at Iowa, you know, eighty, ninety million dollars for the university. So this will spill over. There will be some carryover, and I think the NCAA has been caught on its heels regarding the name, image, and likeness. That should have been passed years ago. And then after this, I think you're going to see pushes for uh, player payment. And I don't know that they're wrong. I think that if they've got to play during a pandemic uh, to save these athletic departments financially, I think that they probably, this is probably the strongest argument they have that they deserve to be compensated. I could not agree with you more, Scott Docker. It's going to be interesting, though, because the NCAA has always chosen to die on that we will not pay them hill. Uh, this will be interesting to see if they continue to take that stance. Uh, weeks ahead will tell us a lot. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic, great piece with Kirk Ferentz. Uh, is The Athletic uh, still got that, what is it, 40% off? You guys had phenomenal offers over there. Not that it's expensive in the first place. It's like three ninety nine a month. What uh, What do you have going on, Doc? Do you know? Yeah, it's a 40% off as a kind of a return to sports package. You know, now that we've got hockey, baseball, and basketball back and college football kind of on the staring at the, at the hopeful, hopeful opening, that it's 40% off. And I would recommend everybody just click on my article and sign up. Uh, you know, there's, you know, 4,500 words of, of Kirk Ferentz that uh, nobody else really has. And I think it's that, that piece is probably well worth it. Yeah, it really and truly is. Scott Dockerman, thank you, Doc. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. 
All right. Have a good day. Yeah, you do the same. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Good piece uh, there with Doc. Uh, more college football conversation. Can you I'm handle in. that? Yes, absolutely. Pete Futech, collegefootballnews.com joins us next. Trent and I take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. OurMoney.org. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. A little slow getting into the groove here, the routine of another work week. Well, you had a full weekend of watching sports actually throwing you off your game. And I'm going to use that as an excuse. That's exactly what happened when I forgot to give you the 11 o'clock keyword. So let's do it right now. KXNO and iHeart want to help you pay your bills. Text the keyword WIN to 200, 200 right now it's your chance to win $1,000. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's win to 200-200. Let's get uh, Pete Futek in here. Uh, looking forward to this, collegefootballnews.com. Uh, he joins the program. Hello, Pete Futek. How are you? Yeah, there's like real hockey and stuff that's actually interesting and matters that's going on all day today and sports and things are happening so not normal but still sort of fun no it's great in fact i'm watching caroline and the rangers do battle right now and uh jets at one o'clock or one thirty. i'm all excited anyways let's get into college football i want there's so much ground to cover with you and i guess the big story one one rangers just tied it up um the big story obviously is the pac-12 some of the players uh, are starting to realize that they do have if they ever are going to have the hammer if you will uh in a conversation regarding their rights now seems to be as good a time as any athletic departments are beholding on uh, a beholden on college football taking place football as everybody knows pays most of the bills uh they make a lot of great points pete i'm with you that this is not the year to be asking to um there's just not going to be a lot of revenue in most cases at least we don't see it that way but they do make some good points your thoughts yeah i'm, I'm with the players i mean they're they're right on just about all their different parts the problem is they're kind of shooting for everything. And I, I don't want to say that their letter is sloppy and their demands are anything crazy, but some of those demands are crazy right now. Uh, but they're not focused enough because this isn't going to work. They don't have any leverage because there might not be a season anyway. I have said this for years. I, I have been you know, on a player's rights kick ever since CFN started. I've interviewed Ramogi Huma and all those guys and been a part of this whole movement and everything. But the problem is that they got to know when they actually have leverage because they want to play. They're just assuming that if they come out and be forceful, that especially how it all starts. And uh, when they, the way they start their letter off by jumping on the, the Black Lives Movement side of things and rejecting the NCAAs, uh, claim that they're on the side of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and using the racial injustice side. Okay, that, that, that's fine. Uh, but then they kind of get off of that and then dive right into the demands that don't necessarily have a whole lot to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. So I'm thinking that they're miscalculating a bit that there's going to be this groundswell of support 
publicly for them because of the popularity of the the, the movement. Uh, and also, they're missing the point that, like you said, what revenue? Like, if you're going to ask for 50% of the revenue cut, you're, this is not the time to do it. I mean, there's just no revenue out there to be had this year in college sports. I've, I've said this to players time and time again. If you really want to do this, do this boycott two days before the season starts or right before the NCAA tournament if you're a college basketball player. To do it now, they're just assuming that the Pac-12 is going to be like, okay, yeah, and freak out about it and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think they're going to get pretty squashed here, even though, again, I'm 100% on their their side. I hope it works in some way. I just don't think it will. Talking with PFU Tech College Football News. Also a continued conversation that seemed to ramp up over the weekend about the possibility of the Power 5 structure breaking away. The NCAA is going to make their determination in fall championships. Now this is, of course, more on the level because the NCAA doesn't hand out a football championship. But if there was ever a time to break away, the time might be now. Your thoughts on that and the possibility. How real is it we see the power structure move into their own set of guidelines? I think it might happen a little bit more from a business side, but not from a normal operational side. For this one reason, like in Iowa State doesn't want to have to struggle to go five and five every year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to want to, you know, there's a point, there's a reason why you play these non-conference games. There's a reason why you operate within the structure of college football as a whole. And it's because you want to get to like eight and three, eight and four. You want to get to the, uh, you know, the bowl games. You want to have those wins that are fun. It's no fun. I think it was Ralph Russo who was tweeting this out. It's no fun if you're Ole Miss and you're going five and seven for the rest of eternity. You know, it's just there's no that the, the idea of Power Five conferences for this year all playing Power Five conference schedules is awesome. I think it's going to be an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. But like, look at like the Pac-12 schedule. You haven't seen like Arizona State, who might be good, and their their record might be like five and five if you look at who they're playing. You know, there's there's no on the positive side for fans. There's no fluff. There's no cupcakes. There's no waste whatsoever. But on the downside, if you're a, a Power Five program, there's no fluff. There's no cupcakes. No, there's no waste. You're going to have to struggle. Uh, to have a winning season for a lot of these teams. And so I just think operationally it's going to be harder than it seems. What's the, what are we going to hear from the Big 12 later on today or whenever we find out what today's meeting, uh, what comes of today's meeting regarding the schedule? Nine and one because that one game the would theoretically could be the third tier rights, which I guess ESPN Plus has, uh, but there's still the Longhorn Network and, and, and some of the Big 12 schools still cash in uh, big time on that. What do you think we're going to hear? I, I'm guessing the nine and one because, or at, at the very least, the nine. I mean, because the the problem isn't that non-conference schedules uh, don't necessarily work right now, especially when you're not playing any other Power Five programs. Uh, but you don't want to pay those teams. Like, if you're not having fans in the stands, and, and colleges still have this delusional idea that that maybe they can get you know some fans in, and you know maybe they can get all fans in if they're if everything looks good. I mean, the, there's not good, the only way this really works is to keep people away from each other, and that's probably not going to happen when it comes to revenue. So if you're not going to really have your normal revenue streams, then the idea of doling out a whole lot of money for that easy 48-3 to win doesn't really make any sense. So I, I'm guessing fiscally, 
I'm guessing they might just think, let's just do this nine-week thing, which actually is great. The fewer games, the more time you have to space them up, space these games out, and the more flexibility you have. Uh, because you know what's going to happen if you're not going to lock down, if you're not going to put in a teams in a team-by-team team bubble, which I still don't understand why colleges can't bubble themselves. Uh, but that's another topic. Uh, but if you're not going to do that, you know there's going to be outbreaks, and you know you're going to have to have built-in two weeks, weeks off where you're just going to have to slow things down. And then on the back end, uh, put those in. And that's a lot easier to do uh, with a nine-game conference schedule. Why can't? College teams put themselves in old. They're amateurs. Old... They are. I don't know. But but see, there's also the authoritarian rule aspect here of college sports. You know, the good and the bad is they don't have a players' union. So you know, look, you're only talking about really three and a half to four months here, and you just kind of have to say, look, if you want to play college football, you know, look, players, we get it. You want to be safe. Well, here's how this has to happen. You guys all have to stay in an athletic room. Basically, you need Friday night lockdown for three and a half to four months. And if you don't want to do it, again, totally fine. Opt out. You keep your scholarship. Do whatever you're going to do. But look, every college is going to go remote. Every college is going to be a, just a glorified streaming service. As soon as all the tuition checks clear, <laughs> all, as soon as the colleges get their money, they're going to drop that hammer. So... They're going to be like regular college students. If you want to play football, though, which you can absolutely do, you've got to lock them down because you know, all it takes is one horny idiot going to a house party and they're your team infected. So uh, you've got to be, keep these players under, under wraps, at least for you know, the three-month regular season. I, I love the premise. I just I just don't see it happening. You know what else I don't see happening? Uh, Bill Moose having a full, full Memorial Stadium <laughs> over in Lincoln. And Kyle Field, apparently there's a plan to put 55,000 uh, fans into, into that stadium. I mean, are they delusional thinking that that's possible? Well, you're talking, this is where it gets really, you know, not to get political, this is where it gets total red state, blue state. There's no more conservative red state college than texas a&m and so if you're kind of on that track where you kind of aren't really believing that this thing is for real yeah maybe you can get fifty-five thousand people into the stadium maybe you can pack them in which seems crazy because the houston general area which you know college stations up the road from mm-hmm. that uh has just been destroyed by this but all right good luck giving that a shot but I, again, I, I, right now, if you can, if you're concentrating on the fans, if you're an athletic department, you got to figure out how to actually play first. Because whether or not you buy into this whole, you know, Corona thing is a, you know, a overblown thing or not, the reality is, as we see with baseball, when guys get this, things shut down. So unless you're able to figure out how to get all the parts of your college football program to stay healthy and test negative, then you can't do this. Not going to work. It's not in. Well, what's going to work here, at least for a season for Notre Dame, is an ACC Mm. schedule. Is this the impetus to lead them down that road and heading into a conference for the first time? The independence is great. You hear Notre Dame fans talk about their love for it. This program hasn't won a national championship since 1988. They've been to the playoff twice, a BCS title game in the playoff, and got beat a combined 72-17. and 17. Is the time now for Notre Dame? But they got there. You know, that, start with that. Yeah. I mean, forgetting the fact that they're not Alabama, uh, okay, you know, who, you know, who is? 
but they're able to get there with their with their schedule. And I, if they can keep their revenue and kind of keep figuring out how to do this the best way possible for Notre Dame, yeah, it might make the switch. For a one-year basis, it makes sense to both sides. But the, the big key in this is that Notre Dame's got to cut in the other 14 ACC teams in on their NBC deal and on the bowl revenue. So they got to give that up. But in exchange for that, they get higher quality games. They get the games against the ACC. They get a shot at the ACC championship, and they get a shot at the Orange Bowl. So for now, it works. But financially, unless the ACC bends over backwards and gives and lets NBC and lets Notre Dame keep a bigger revenue, a bigger chunk of their NBC revenue, it's not going to be a long-term deal. It just does not make fiscal sense because right now, look, Notre Dame's going to want USC back on its schedule. Notre Dame's going to yeah. want its you know, slate. They, and give the program credit. It doesn't duck anybody. It's mm-hmm. not like this. I mean, they were going to go to Wisconsin this year. Mm-hmm. They've got massive game, and they have massive games set up. So it's not like they're ducking anybody. They just want to keep the money. <laughs> yeah, selfishly, as a college football fan, I hope they keep their independence for that very reason. I love those games against Big Ten schools, the uh, USC, the Navy game. There's always uh, it's sure. always an entertaining schedule. Pete, listen, we're out of time. Thank you as always. Uh, we appreciate it. We seem we we feel like we're going to get some clarity this week, at least for you know that's the plan. Whether it changes or not, uh, COVID will let us know. Uh, but we're going to exactly. get some plans. Thank you, Pete Futek. There you guys. Good to talk to you. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com. Don't you want any, and Notre Dame to stay independent? Yeah. I do. If, if the choice is independence or the ACC, it's independence. Right. Give me the Notre Dame, Michigan under the lights, or Wisconsin at Lambeau Field. Right. Or USC, Reggie Bush in the Bush push. Now, if it's having them in the Big Ten... That works, too. (laughs) That changes, I think, the conversation. Uh, This note from an article from Ivan Maisel. There are nine schools within the Big Ten footprint closer than their closest ACC school, which is Pittsburgh. Nine schools geographically closer to Notre Dame than the closest in the ACC. (laughs) Makes some sense. It does. Then you got to add one more. Do you? Or you just kick Rutgers out? Well, I mean, that's that's the best thing. Why don't you go 15? Does it work, though? Sure. If it's Notre Dame, it works. It works. Look, they got 15 now in the ACC with Notre Dame this year. That schedule looks pretty good. Yeah, this year it does. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, okay, we'll uh, come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon with you until noon. It's uh, 15 minutes before uh, noon. We'll take you up until that point on 1460 KXNO and 106. Here, Miller and Condon on a Monday, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Mitch Holt is going to squeeze Patrick Mahomes into the program tomorrow, at least the audio of Mitch and uh, Patrick We got Mahomes. Mahomes tomorrow. We got Mahomes tomorrow. We yep. can promote that then, Yes, absolutely. We? Join us at uh, 1050 tomorrow, Patrick Mahomes with... Uh, well, his, his voice will be on the His show. voice will be on the show, yes. Um, Rob Doster, one of the voices that's on our show a lot during basketball season, he lost his gig at NBC Sports. Yeah, a decade with NBCSports.com, and he just always kind of wondered with that, it's not ESPN, it's not CBS, it's not some of the big brands out there. Mm-hmm. Such an excellent writer. College basketball talk, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. kind of the, the spinoff that they mm-hmm. did at NBC, leading off with uh, pro football talk and what they've done. Terrible to hear. He just, 
not only do we love having him on the show, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm, he is a good guy. We really had an opportunity to talk with him off the air a number of times, and he's just one of those people that's easy to root for. He's going to land on his feet. He's got yeah. a lot of people in his uh, on his side, and he's going to land on his feet. Athletic? I don't know, but he's a great resource for college uh, college yes. basketball. I hope he gets uh, back in the game sooner rather than later because you and I wanted to have him on tomorrow. We did, yeah. We were just <laughs> we were talking about that, and then the news came down right during our show. Uh, Rob sent out a t- tweet that after a decade there, it is over, but he'll land on his feet. He's too good of a writer, too talented not to. Uh, well, we've got baseball tonight. We've got hockey tonight. I mean, hockey's going on. all There's six games today. You know, uh, today I'm going to see your, your, your rearview uh, lights here in what, about not long. three minutes? Three minutes. Uh, this is the national holiday in Canada. First, first Monday in August is first the national Monday, holiday. What, what is it, Thanksgiving or no. something stupid you guys do up there? <laughs> no, I don't know. You know what? And this has always been the case, I think, in the mid oh, I'm guessing... Not when I was in school or maybe when I was in late in high school, but this wasn't always the case. Uh, but today's, I, I think it's just the government realizes how bad the winters suck. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to throw you a bone and give you a long weekend in August. An extra day here. Right. Thanks for living here. So it's kind of like the, the Labor Day that we get. Yeah, well, we get that, or they get that too. They do too. Okay. This right. is just the next, a bonus this, day. This is a bonus day. But bonus, six games in the NHL today. Oh. Be, cabins will be showing hockey games, people on beaches watching it on their phone. You think your Jets, Winnipeg Jets, are going to be swept? Are you going to crack do. open an early beer today? No. Come on. No, no, no. I've got to work today, Trent. This you is do? a work day for me. You didn't put any No, I didn't this put anything. Come, I know better than that. No, uh-uh. Meetings, you know, Tuesday works great. Monday, a little mm-hmm. more difficult. Yeah, I'm tied up. Uh, but no, it's it's going to be a fun day watching that. So tonight's going to be fun as well. I have not seen the Royals play yet. Oh, really? Not that I feel like, you know. Watched a little bit over the weekend, but did yeah. Did you? Yep. Uh, they play the Cubs, so I'll, we'll, uh, we'll see the Cubs. And your twins are playing who? The Pirates. Oh, okay. Yeah, chance to get right. They should. I mean, the Pirates lost, th- I think, three guys out of their bullpen. Yes. All, all left games over the weekend against the Cubbies. So they got four games with the Pirates, two in Minnesota, then two in Pittsburgh. Oh, so that's this week then because it's yes. the same with the Royals and the Cubs. Then the Twins get the Royals after that for three, yeah. the Brewers after that for three. Looking at their schedule going forward, the Royals again, the Twins are already off to a 7-2 mm-hmm. start. We might be talking about a eighteen and five type of team with yeah, the schedule they, could they have. Be. Well, taking three out of four from Cleveland. Yes. Cleveland need to they tell gave me up four the, runs the whole series. The Twins isn't that crazy? Boy, Bieber had their number on Thursday night though. He's going to have a lot of teams yes, numbers in Florida. Yeah. Who's the kid starting for Minnesota tonight? Uh, Thorpe? Thorpe. He's a Aussie. Is he? He's an Aussie. Yes, one of the young arms that uh-huh. you know. Maybe best case scenario, he's a number three down the road. More than likely, back end rotation kind of guy, but. Yep. Everybody they've thrown out there. Yesterday they went with the bullpen game, and it worked Saw incredibly that. Tyler well. Tyler Clippard started for Grand Ole. Went two innings, and yeah. they had a uh, perfect game through the first three. Uh, we will see if Chris Bryant's back in the lineup. He's had the, he had the you know what's uh, over the weekend and did mm-hmm. not play Saturday or Sunday, uh, so perhaps he gets the uh, gets back into the lineup tonight. Uh, well, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, we maybe have a little clarity on the Big Twelve. We'll do that tomorrow Let's hope. as well. Yeah, I want to know. I'm with you. Murph and Andy coming up at two. The Fanatics at four. Morning rush back on the airwaves tomorrow morning at six a.m. We're Miller and Condon. Weekdays ten to noon. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.